Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fully Delighted Podcast, or maybe it's your, you're here for the first time. Uh, my name is Adam, and I get to serve as the pastor of Central Ministries here at SMCC, and we are we are wrapping up here today, and why not just bring you who you, you know, who's usually on here, Pastor Eric and Pastor Trevor, to wrap up week nine, final part of our series, The Kingdom is Like. Yeah, we're bringing the podcast season, this podcast season to a close, and we'll take a little breather. We'll be back, mm-hmm. um, but uh, we are also bringing the Kingdom is Like series to a close. We are you know, focused on Easter this weekend, three services. I hope you invite somebody. Um, really, really excited about Easter weekend, and so I think this has been a great podcast season and a great series for our church, and um, I think uh, now our church is more equipped to build the kingdom, and that's a really good thing. Yeah, and uh, I'll just say this too. I do appreciate people who um, just give us encouragement and that they listen to and enjoy this podcast. I had somebody at South Jordan that was telling me, uh, his wife was saying, she's like, I think our whole neighborhood listens to your podcast. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, when my husband's, I think he's doing work on the house somewhere. She's like, he's got his big speaker that he uses when he's working in, you know, on this room or whatever it is, and just blasting you guys as he's working, you know, doing whatever, you know, framing or whatever. I can't remember what it was, but uh, she's like, I think our whole, our whole neighborhood can hear you guys on Saturdays. That's great. That's a great, that's a great thing. Um, You know, also we got a few really exciting series coming up after Easter. Um, They're not going to be podcast seasons, but um, I want to give our listeners at the end of today, stick around. I want to give the listeners at the end of the day uh, a heads up into our next two sermon series on Sundays. Yeah. So that'll be part of uh, how we wrap up today as well. And that brings up just a point here. If you're listening to this podcast anyways, uh, you know how to listen to podcasts and where to find them. And uh, we have a messages podcast as well. So this is the Fully Delighted podcast and we do this uh, in seasons, but every week there is our message for the weekend in the messages. SMCC audio messages is what it's called. So you can search and find that. Um, Subscribe to that too. Absolutely. So here we are wrapping it up with the final parable about the kingdom is like. This comes to us in Matthew 20. It's a bit of a long parable. Trevor, you want to summarize it? Do you want to read it for us? How should we go about this? Yeah, it. Um, I think I could summarize it pretty well. It is a longer parable with a lot of details within it. So, yeah, basically the story, you know, it rises out of a question that Peter asks, mm-hmm. a conversation that he and Jesus are having. And I think we can get into that when we get into kind of breaking it down. But the story is basically that the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. Uh, who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And he agrees to hire the workers from the beginning of the day. He agrees to pay them a denarius, which is a day's wages. So you work a day, you get paid for that day. And then several other times throughout the day, he goes and hires workers um, later on. And except what what you find is they don't get the same kind of agreement. They don't know what they're going to get paid. They just know they're going to get paid something. And they're kind of at the mercy of the landowner to whatever Mm -hmm. he deems is, is right for what they'll get paid. So that's sort of the arrangement. People get hired at different points throughout the day. The day. So you've got some who've worked the entire day, and then some who've worked like half of it, a quarter of it, three quarters. The final group only works one hour. And uh, at the end of the day, they get paid, and they all get paid the exact same amount, a day's mm-hmm. wages. And uh, as you can imagine, the people who work 
the entire day are not pleased with this. They're not happy, they're upset, and they make that known to the landowner who then responds to them at the end. And his words are uh, particularly telling. This is what he says, picking it up at verse 13. But he answered one of them saying, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius for a day's wages? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Hmm. Wow. Now, this parable, I want to talk kind of personally. This parable has always um, been in my mind since I was very young. So many of you know this. If you've been around SMCC for a while, I wasn't raised in church. That's kind of what I say. Mm -hmm. That's not entirely as precise as possible. There was about a year of our lives where my parents took us to an Episcopal church. And um, if you're unfamiliar with an Episcopal church, there are traditions and liturgy that go with that approach to church, how they worship. And I remember uh, I was, well, Catholics would call it an altar boy. Um, The Episcopal church calls it an acolyte. And um, I was one of those. I thought, well, if I got to be in boring church, I might as well occupy myself with something. Yeah, give me the robe and I'll go up front and hold the big book. You know, that was kind of my, (laughs) that was kind of my thing. And, um, but at one point they did uh, confirmation. Um, I think that's, in the Catholic Church, is it called catechism or is it called confirmation in the Catholic Church as well? I remember the other kids um, in my school, the, the Catholic kids, they yeah. have to stay after school for CCD. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. It's school. Yeah, it's a, that's a class thing, isn't it? Yeah. It gets them ready for confirmation. Gets ready I think for it's confirmation. confirmation. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. I think I think catechism is wrapped up somewhere in that CCD. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to confirmation class and it was a bunch of young kind of middle school, maybe even it's probably elementary school, honestly. And I remember one of the lessons and like, I don't remember any message from that church experience. I don't remember any talk, any Bible study for a year. I went often and um, before we were all sick of it and checked out. But the one thing I remember is this parable. And I remember, you know, even later on in life, before I was a Jesus follower, this story would like haunt me, not like in a bad way haunt, but like it would just come up in my mind. Like this, it was like watching a movie as a kid and always knowing how it unfolded. Like it just stays with you. And for some reason, This parable, the parable of the workers in the vineyard from Matthew 20, stayed with me. But let me tell you how I was taught it, all right? So this is how I was taught this parable. And uh, and it resonated at the time. I could see where they were coming from until I began to actually read the fuller context of Matthew and realized, no, this is about something different. So here's how I was taught this parable. And of course, one of our values in this series is to was to teach and model good biblical interpretation, good hermeneutics, to say, look, a parable can't be about something that, uh, well, the setup to the parable gives us contextual clues or boundaries for what the parable's about. It can't mean anything you want it to mean. Um, but I think that's what happened when I was taught this in confirmation, that it could mean anything. Oh boy. <laughs> that's, that was the takeaway. <laughs> so, so this is what I was taught. Um, it's still better. I was taught this. It's still better for the people that worked all day because at least they could camp on getting something in the end. And so even if you put in more effort than everybody else as a Christian, at least you know where you're going when you die. And that is better than not knowing throughout your life and then somehow getting in at the last minute. So go ahead and keep going. Be the first worker because at least you have secured something for yourself. And isn't that a good way to live? That's how I was taught the parable. <laughs> and of course, at the time... I thought that was pretty good advice. I'm afraid to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. 
Um, might as well, you know, be the guy that just gets going now. Get your work done. Shut up and put up, and um, you'll get your you'll get your denarius. That's your ticket mm-hmm. to heaven. Which the guys who complain are not the good example in the story. It's no. like it's not a be like them situation. But that's how I was taught: is like don't risk it. You know, don't be the the last guy because you never know when your time's going to be called. Mm-hmm. You never know when life will be up for you. And what if you don't get to work for just a little bit? And then you'll be left out in the cold, never having earned a denarius at all. So might as well be religious, jump through your hoops, and at least know where you're going when you die. (laughs) Which is not a compelling way to live life. What's interesting, I mean, this just connected for me now. Yeah, the people who, the examples of the the ones who start in the morning are kind of like not the good examples. Like you're not supposed to follow that example. And, And it looks like Jesus actually comparing this with, going back to chapter 19, to what Peter asks about. He's kind of like putting those you know, yeah. them in the same group. What right? about us? You know, that's mm-hmm. what Peter's asking. Right, and exactly. Jesus is not telling him, well, at least you're in now, so shut up. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> that's not it. But There's, that was, yeah. that's what I got. And, and of mm-hmm. course, that's juxtaposed to um, like deathbed conversions. Like, yeah. you know, wait, so is this saying that you can like pray a prayer at the end of the day and still get in and get the same thing? Is the coin must be the heaven reward? And like, that's how I was taught this mm-hmm. parable is that the denarius is like salvation or heaven and it's good to secure that early in your life. And by the way, that makes sense in the confirmation setting. You got these 11 year olds who are like, I guess I will get the coin now. Good, get to work in the field, yeah. you know? Yeah. And uh, unfortunately that would only breed the attitude Jesus is trying to prevent by telling the story, yeah. which is the attitude of I've done so much for you, Jesus. Why would you show grace to anybody else? Why would you be generous to everybody else? Look what I've done. I've worked all day for you, Jesus. I deserve more. Mm-hmm. Jesus actually tells this story to confront that attitude, which is the attitude Peter essentially had. Yep. Yeah. So I was taught this parable absolutely backwards. It was the, what the parable is absolutely not saying I was taught that it was saying, <laughs> and um, and by good people, like these were well-meaning people who just thought they could read anything into the into the passage. So that's so. Then I'm a Christian later on in life. I'm 22 years old, you know, and I read this story and I look at it and I'm like, oh my goodness, what I thought this meant. It's like watching a movie you saw as a kid, and then watching yes. it again and realizing, oh, this is not about that, you know. Yeah. Um, that is, I had to do this unlearning process because I was taught this story incorrectly. So hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to share that to say reading the Bible can be difficult. Interpretation really does matter. And please don't land on that interpretation because that's not how the story unfolds. So how does it unfold, Trevor? Yeah. What is the point of the story? Yeah, no. Uh, well, it's not actually, it's kind of a challenging, something you said there made me just pique my curiosity about sure. having to unlearn things when it comes to the Bible and how hermeneutics, when you practice them, it can be really helpful, especially if um, you know, you've been taught about the Bible uh, kind of all throughout your life, and maybe, um, yeah, that, that unlearning, relearning process can be a really helpful thing. And honestly, I feel like that's one of the things I enjoy about, um, about being in a regular teaching ministry is the chance to kind of take deeper dives into passages, into books. Uh, like, it's been so fun spending this time in Matthew. Uh-huh, I agree. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's been good, but um, that's part of the process, I suppose. So with this parable in particular, uh, it is really easy to miss the heart of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's surprisingly easy to miss because it is a longer parable, and there's so many smaller details along the way. For example, um, I kind of I shared a couple of examples of how you could take it on Sunday uh, that are really kind of good and compelling. On the one hand, you could look at the um, at least I think they're good and compelling. You could look at the workers who get hired at the end of the day and ask, why weren't they hired? 
and uh, kind of, you know, extrapolate on their circumstances. I had a friend I talked to who got hired in this kind of situation. And, and in the first century context, these day laborers were basically one step above slaves. Mm-hmm. So they were completely at the mercy of being able to get hired. And uh, I had a friend who you know, talked about working in this particular kind of way. And uh, you just get asked, like, can you do electricity? Yeah. Can you do drywall? Yeah. Can you do plumbing? Yeah. Can you do carpentry? Uh, n- not so much, and immediately passed over for the next person. And so mm-hmm. why can't they get hired? They, they lack the skills to be able to, and they're in an incredibly vulnerable position within their uh-huh. society, and the landowner shows them compassion. Yeah. And so you could say it's about showing compassion, mm-hmm. which is a really good message, Sure, but it's not, it's not the main point. Right, mm-hmm. right. And uh, you could do the same thing with the workers at the beginning of the day and say they're, they're more than happy until they see everyone else getting paid the same. Mm-hmm. So it's comparison. Comparison kills joy. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting. This parable gets taken in a lot of different ways. And uh, it's, but when you finally get to the heart of it, all those things are kind of wrapped up within it. And Jesus has this line that, you know, in the initial conversation he has with Peter, um, I guess if we're going to break it down, Peter says, uh, he's asking, what about us? Maybe the, the wealthy man, maybe the rich guy, he couldn't give up everything. But what about us? Which mm-hmm. is a thinly veiled, with, thinly veiled way of asking, what about me? And uh, Jesus basically says, you'll get a lot. Anyone who gives up anything for my sake will receive, uh, you know, a hundredfold be- beyond even comparison. Um, but the first, so the first will be last, last will be first. And then he goes into this parable and that line repeats like, sort of at the beginning and at the end, but I think they don't mean necessarily the same thing. It's actually not an exact repeti- repetition mm. either. They're reversed. Mm. Um, so the, in the first case, it's a comparison to Peter and the disciples and the rich young man mm-hmm. who is first in this life, and yet if things don't change, he won't be first in the next one, mm-hmm. whereas mm. um, Peter and the disciples, it's an encouragement to them the first time it pops up. The second time it pops up, I think it's in reference to the workers and really the attitude that they take. Mm-hmm. The ones at the beginning of the day, they believe they've earned it. They're expecting to get paid, and so when someone else gets paid in the way that's similar to them, though they haven't worked, they're upset because... To them, you either earn it or you haven't. You either deserve it or you don't. And uh, the workers at the end of the day, they know beyond the shadow of a doubt that they haven't earned it, Mm -hmm. that it's kindness, it's grace, it's a gift. And so I think when he brings the line back at the end, it's sort of um, tying into the attitude of the workers and have you earned it, a religious understanding, that's what uh, the workers from the beginning of the day have, or do you understand that everything is grace, which again mm-hmm. ties into the language of the landowner at the very end. I want to give to them the same as I gave to you. Not what you earned, mm-hmm. not, not what you deserve, not what you're owed, mm-hmm. yep. but I want to give to them what I gave to you because the kingdom is all grace. Yep. I feel like... Uh, well said. That's a fantastic explanation. I wish I would have learned that when I was 11. <laughs> you just preached the message, you know, in like two minutes there. <laughs> I feel like what's, what's you know, difficult, uh, shall we say, about this passage this parable is that we do live in a in a reaping and sowing world Mm -hmm. and i think even back to i'm curious what your guys's first hourly job was mine was mcdonald's age 14 wow that's amazing Uh, um my first hourly job was um the berry fields at about 11 or 12. Oh, my friends who did that. Yeah. I was, I mean, I guess that's as close to a vineyard as you can get in the Pacific Northwest. There's <laughs> yeah. not a lot of vineyards. Oh, there are vineyards around, but not a ton. And I would sit on these big combines, these tractors that would comb the uh, the fields and I'd pick off the uh, the bad berries. And then the first 
And I think that was kind of like a sketchy job. Like it was kind of <laughs> under the table. <clears throat> but my first real job, uh, it was it was actually my orthodontist like owned these fields. So I think he was hiring kids out of the orthodontist chair. To come oh my god! <laughs> Talk about <laughs> double funny. double dipping on your clientele. Yeah, uh, it oh, was man. Blockbuster Video. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, didn't nice. you do something with fish up? Yeah. Some, oh yeah. Yeah. I love that. That was story. a little bit later. Yeah, I worked in a fish cannery in Alaska. And um, talk about being picked from a line to have a better job than others. So it's kind yeah. of this parable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was standing in a group of like 20 college kids and they're like, you, 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 and you, and you come with me. And it was like all these like big dudes. <laughs> and, and I wasn't one of them. And they're like, you're on the slime line. So you're in the cold, wet, stinky, like the slime line, which means fish would come belly side up. And you would take the the vacuum, like at the dentist when they suck your saliva, and you would suck out the insides of the fish all day. You had a spoon in one hand and a vacuum in the other, and you would spoon it out, and then you would suck it up, and you'd spoon and suck, okay, for 14 hours a day. All right, that's what yeah. my buddy Luke had to do. I got, they said, you over there, dude. I was probably wearing skinny jeans and had black hair. They're like, you can't handle this. And then like seven college girls, like you come with us. And I'm like, oh, all right, this is, this is good. And I get put in a warm hut where we picked the dented cans of a fish off the conveyor belt while sitting on stools. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. I forgot how ridiculous that was. My friend hated me. Oh, my god. So gosh. I would sit around and chat with these girls and pick dented cans off a conveyor belt while he would st- and sit while he stood on his feet the whole summer. <laughs> and we got paid the same. And uh, it's, a, it's a, like a living example of this parable. That's it, yeah. yeah. And he had a reason to complain. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I did. Yeah, he's like, what did, I work so hard for the same thing you make. I'm like, dude, I didn't pick this. They just picked me. Yeah. You had um, grace. Yeah. <laughs> you knew you didn't deserve it. I, I certainly didn't deserve it, but I looked like someone who couldn't handle the slime line. Yeah, that was it. That was yeah, it. that's probably what happened. What about you, Trev? What was your first hourly job? And I asked this because I remember when I started working, you clocked in. Mm-hmm. You clocked out. Your pay stub would say exactly how many hours you worked, and you got paid according to that. Like, yeah. So, you know, the story isn't that far off. Yeah, I had an under the table job as well where I was working for a farmer picking rocks in the spring. <laughs> that sounds like you didn't have a real job. <laughs> I've explained this to people the and they're was like my father. Yeah. They're like what is picking rocks? And uh, I don't know. I guess it, the soil where I grew up it was a thing. Maybe it's not mm. everywhere, but the, the with the cold winters it would push up rocks into the fields. And so the big ones had to be taken out before they could plant. Uh, and uh, yeah, okay. so yeah, I just grab the rocks, get them out of there. <laughs> That sounds legit. Okay, sounds legit. Oh my god! Yeah, we follow a tractor, and uh, and that was towing a trailer, and you'd grab the rocks and put them in the trailer. So that's how it went. Uh, but then the actual job that was over the table was uh, I worked on the grounds crew at a community college that my mom worked at. Oh. So I just was just weed whacking all day, every day for uh, for I did that a couple summers. Wow. wow. Mm-hmm. Huh. So, anyways, yeah, I mean. It's not uh, outrageous, even um, or even in our context and understanding of this world and in the working world, um, that these people are upset. They're like, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa! You know what happened? Yeah, we we live in a um, earning, deserving wage owed <coughs> exchange transaction mm-hmm. culture kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I love Trevor how you kind of diagnose the different order, and the last will be first, the first will be last. Or the first will be last and the last will be first. So the way culture orders things is backwards. Um, And then the way Jesus's kingdom orders things is backwards to the culture. And you kind of need both sides of it, depending on which 
kingdom you're in. Mm -hmm. So if you're living in the kingdom of the land, so to speak, and have different values of earning and working and wages and deserved, um, that approach to first and last is different than the kingdom. That's why it's the first will be last. What you think is first, it actually isn't to Jesus. And what yeah. you think is last, humility, service, submission, is actually first to Jesus in these yeah. ways, Peter. Mm -hmm. But if you're what in the kingdom, which is the parable, if you're in that kingdom, it's different than that. In the kingdom, because it's not a deserving, earning, hurry up and get in first place attitude, it's a grace mentality. Those who look undeserving are actually in a spot of honor. Those who look like they couldn't work for it are actually given a gift. And that actually is all of us. Mm -hmm. And so that's the beauty. Oh my gosh. It's such a brilliant section of the, the Bible. I mean, it is yeah. so compelling to go, well, why the repetition? Oh, actually, if I look closely, it's not repetition. It's a subtle difference depending on which vantage point I'm looking at it from, which kingdom am I in will help me then reorder my structure, my concept um, hmm. yeah. of, of first and last. So, um, but yeah, the point being, if you want to know what the kingdom is like, it's not based on earning, working, deserving. It's based on the generosity, the grace, and the kindness of the landowner or the king. God can be gracious to whoever he wants. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to be envious of that because he was gracious and kind to me at one point. Why would I reject the very thing that brought me life? Mm. You know, and that's kind of the punch of all of this. He does bring up envy there towards, towards the end. Um, are you envious because I'm generous? And mm -hmm. it's like, why would you be envious? Because the same generosity that went to them went to you right. as well. And the problem, you're in, the reason that you're envious is you have different values, values of earning, working, deserving hmm. my kingdom values generosity grace gift kindness and yeah. that's how he wants us to live in his kingdom wow that's so interesting yeah there's actually a really interesting connection there in the original language with that uh, or are you are you envious because i'm generous it goes back to uh, matthew chapter 6 sermon on the mount <clears throat> when jesus is talking about money there and uh yeah, trying to find it here. I think it's verse 22, 622. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of life. But if you're, will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Uh, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And there, there's like similarity in the language that it's drawing on this. Um, it's drawing on this. It's idiomatic that if you look into the literal, um, actual Greek, it's not so much describing well it's en envy is what it means mm -hmm. but it's is your eye evil mm -hmm. uh, the the language is literally is your eye evil uh because i am good uh so just kind of an interesting connection that you see it pop up in those two places and i yeah. believe only those two places in the entire new testament yeah. but within the book of matthew um, concept being if god's goodness makes you bitter you're evil <laughs> you know what i'm saying that's go. a problem yeah and and that's kind of how we so we wanted to try and expose those themes in our church, we wanted to expose those themes in, in the heart of our people. Mm -hmm. um, and so deathbed conversions tends to be one of those things that exposes that theme. Yeah. And it's pretty normal to ask somebody who's been a Jesus follower for any length of time, like, do you get excited by deathbed conversion or does that seem unfair to you? Mm -hmm. And I've met a lot of Christians who are like, it's unfair. That shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm still convinced that it, religion lives inside. Oh, and by religion, I mean a working, earning, deserving mentality. God owes me. That lives inside of us. Like that is just, it's so easy for that to grow. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's why I do love this parable is it, it kind of just punches at that mindset. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I've had people come up to me when we've preached on, I don't even remember what message it was, but I've had people who, um, it was a grandparent. I think it was at the location with a, their grandchild or something that was sitting in service for some reason. And, and they just, and they posed the question, this was probably six months ago or something, kind of the idea of an extreme, uh, going into a debate or argument is always the <laughs> Hitler argument. Yeah. Um, just to say like, basically what the person was asking was like, so, so if, you know, and I'm just using Hitler as an example, cause it's kind of like the extreme hyperbole mm-hmm. here, but like, yeah. So if Hitler on his deathbed, um, decide to follow Jesus, uh-huh. would he be given, mm-hmm. you know, uh, eternal life with God? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's like kind of the extreme situation to, to try and get to a point. Yeah. Um, so I just always appreciate those types of questions that came up to me in the lobby and asked that, you and, know? And even as you ask that now, I imagine some listeners start to wrestle with that. Right. The answer right. is 100% yes. Mm-hmm. If it was yeah. sincere, then it's 100% yes. If it was sincere, yes. yeah. yeah. And, you know, we balk at that, but your sincerity when you decided to trust Jesus was the exact same, right? Now, yes, sin has uh, different consequences, but the same ultimate result, right? Which yep. is separation from God and death. And so, you know, um, you know, different sins have different consequences, certain sins, but at the end of the day, the separation, uh, is the same separation from, from a holy God. And, um, uh, yeah, so same in punishment, different in consequence when it comes to sin. And so it was the same kindness that allowed you who were dead in your sin to be made alive. That would allow him who was dead in his sin to be made alive. It's the exact same. So yeah. that is where you see the fairness of the king and it maximizes his generosity, kindness, and gift. It doesn't take away from the badness of Hitler's behavior. It just no. maximizes the grace and goodness of the king. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is it's in the, it's the inverse of what we talked about just now for the last, you know, 20 minutes or so is that um, we want to look at sin and, and we do see from Romans that there's a wage for sin. Yeah. Wage, so, so I worked and this is the wages I earned. I death. get death. Yeah. yeah. But what people want to say, you know, as you were saying about consequences of a result, but like, but, but sin, regardless of where on the spectrum that is, it earns death. Yep. You know, like there's not like, ah, this person deserves more death yeah. than the, you know, like, so, so it's the same kind of thing just on the reverse end of it. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah. The, the question that um, I, I think uh, I heard Ben who preached at the Draper campus, uh, leave the listener with it. I thought was really, really good. The question I think that Jesus wanted to bring his listeners to is this thing of, am I okay working in the vineyard for the king? Am Mm -hmm. I okay? Use me as you would see fit and gift me what you would see that you would want to generously gift me. That's it. That's it. Like I'm, I'm happy to be used. I'm happy to be at your disposal in your vineyard. And uh, working like all that. day for the king is actually a great thing because a life without him is not, you yeah. know what I mean? And so back to my confirmation class, um, they, didn't, they didn't take me all the way across the finish line, but the, the finish line is you don't need to have a bad attitude because working all day for the king, building the kingdom that is human flourishing is a joy-filled life. Hmm. Yeah. So when someone's like, wait, you can, you can just pray a prayer on your deathbed? Then why am I following Jesus now? Because it is in alignment with your joy. <laughs> yeah. That is mm-hmm. a far better approach to life than, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll until you're 80 and then praying a prayer. That is missing out on eternal life. Jesus says eternal life is to know me, like now. Mm. So it's not like the good life starts when we die. The good life starts the moment we trust Jesus. Yeah. And then joy comes in. So don't wait to the deathbed and think that you're living it up. You're actually 
hurting yourself. And I think if you were in the first century and you watch the workers, you know, the guys that are hired at the end of the day, they might've wondered, am I actually going to have something to feed my family at the end of the day? And I think that's where the Episcopal church was maybe trying to lean a little bit into the details there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I'm, I'm kind of meddling, but like, if I was a worker, this is just my opinion now, I'm not saying this is what the text says, but if I was a worker in the first century, wondering if I'd be able to feed my family at the end of the day, I would probably prefer to know early on, sure. even though I'm going to work more, that I will be able to feed my family at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think there's, a, there's probably a link there mm. that living for the king now is still a more secure and joy-filled life. Yeah. It's not about the... the, uh, the um, well, he does talk about being awarded in the end. That's actually kind of an interesting thing about this parable. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to miss the heart of it. And once you get the heart of it, you see how all of those little misses yeah. are actually wrapped up within it. Sure. Like yeah. The, I think the certainty you could say is a piece of it. Yep. Um, but like an attitude of first that says, I earned it, I deserve it. Not only does it, it actually does kill joy, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like, you know, the whole comparison thing. And it also breeds selfishness um, because you don't want things for other people. You yeah. want more for you and less for them. Yeah. Whereas the gospel breeds compassion for others and joy in what you've received. So those, and, and certainty. So all mm-hmm. of those things are there. They're just, they, they come once you get the heart of it. A- absolutely. Yeah. You can work for those things in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. That's why you got to get the heart first. So you have, mm-hmm. then, then you have the right heart of the parable and then the other things you can see in light of that. And that keeps you from a selfish interpretation of the parable. Like I want certainty, so I better get obeying. Mm-hmm. No, that's wrong. Once you kind of walk away from the earning mentality, you can see that knowing the, the, landowner is going to take care of you knowing that god's going to take care of you when you know that's important mm-hmm. that aligns with what we know from some other passages i think it's a helpful summary just to make sure that nobody missed what you were saying eric that there is i think a pretty strong draw for a lot of people to think through yeah why couldn't i live the life uh what if i wanted to live the life of the sex drugs rock and roll like you said well, however you want to put it um and feel like I'm, I'm like missing out on something or yeah, if I, you know, have served and, and, and known, loved Jesus for a long time and that, you know, somehow I missed out on something else. Part of the application is just that this, this truly is, there's full devotion and full delight in this. And so, um, yeah, it's not this thing of like, oh, I missed out on something. I mean, actually, I mean, in, in some sort of way, like, you know, people who might be further down the line, like in some ways, I don't want to say this wrongly, mm-hmm. but you know, almost like they missed out on something in life. Like, you yeah. know, there's, there was, there's joy found in, in this process. And so yep. don't look at it with regret. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So man, it, Trevor, I loved how you said it. Maybe you could just say it again, but, um, Something along the lines of once you have the heart right, you see how the details all fit together mm. and yeah. they include those other themes. Yeah. Because those other themes are connected to the generosity, kindness, and goodness of the landowner. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. What a great, what a great parable. I was just thinking about how Adam's been working in the vineyard a lot longer than we have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> McDonald's or? Yeah, McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess by, te- yeah, technically, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Because you guys came to, yeah, you guys came to know Jesus a little bit later. I bet they paid you such a small wage. You felt very bitter at the end <laughs> of your time <laughs> at McDonald's. Yeah. It's, yeah. Dude, oh, man. I think I made five fifty an hour there or something. Wow. Like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think we've uh, done well to interpret that, that parable. Um, how do we put a bow on the kingdom is like before we look ahead Gosh. to the next series guys man how do we put a bow on this the bow on it for me is that jesus is using these parables of the kingdom and i think we said this the whole series but it's it's a culture mm-hmm. it's um 
yeah, it's just talking about what do the what do the people in the kingdom value? Mm-hmm. Like that's what I think will stand out a lot to me. And there's all these parables that give different examples, different angles of what that culture values. Yeah, and I'm wondering maybe we could just summarize some of those. So from today's parable, we value grace, gift. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a place for stewardship and accountability. But ultimately, in the kingdom, there's generosity, kindness, and a gift to the undeserving. That's mm-hmm. something we value. Mm-hmm. That's called grace. Yeah, we uh, we value um, things that start small in the right way, and then work their way through the whole thing. Yeah. Um, we value Jesus supremely. We treasure mm-hmm. Him. We value God's way of separating things in the end, future mm-hmm. judgment. We value, um, man, what what would be some others? Forgiveness was the big one for me. Yeah, yeah I love that yeah. one. That was week eight, I think, something mm-hmm. like that. I feel like that there's like that mini series in the middle too of the hidden treasure, the pearl, and then the net that leaned uh, so heavily into what do you treasure in this life and how the kingdom is really um, like the greatest joy is found in treasuring the right thing. Yeah. Mm. And the kingdom is that treasure. Yeah. And if yeah. we remember, this all started with the parable of the, the soils. Yeah. And so as we've come to the end, it's like if we remember where we started in the beginning, Jesus wants us to be good soil that we would receive these values into our lives, that they'd be planted so deeply into us. This is the idea of that first parable. And that's why he set it up. Allow these values to be planted so deeply in you that you flourish and that they can weather, that you can weather storms, mm-hmm. that um, in season and out of season, there's fruit in your life because these values are fruitful for the whole world. So that's kind of where we've been. I use the illustration of a diamond that mm-hmm. you see Jesus' kingdom from a bunch of different angles and facets and vantage yep. points. But from wherever you'd look, to quote Rihanna, it shines bright like a diamond. <laughs> um, <laughs> I said that. Yeah. I wanted to say that on Sunday. I I haven't said that from the stage. I've, I've <laughs> held my tongue. But in the podcast, I'll say Rihanna was right. The kingdom shines bright like a diamond. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Trevor, how would you wrap up, put a bow on, on this uh, kingdom series? Yeah, I just think the kingdom was central to everything that Jesus taught. Again, if we go back to the beginning of the series, the book of Matthew as a whole has two really significant themes that it's driving at uh, when it comes to the identity of Jesus, that he's the new Moses delivering new authoritative teaching, and that he is the long-awaited messianic king fulfilling the promise from Second Samuel 7 made to David. And uh, the parables are at the very heart of the book because they're at the very heart of those two themes as he is the new authoritative, delivering new authoritative teaching that is all about the kingdom of which he himself is the king. And as we've gotten to see throughout this book, um, the chance to be a part of that kingdom is a real uh, and remarkable and incredible gift. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really enjoyed this series uh, for our church. And I think one of the things that was most important to me, and I hope um, we all learn this together, I hope our church family, the church body, thousands of people who engage in the series, can remember is if if following Jesus was pitched to you as pray a prayer and wait for heaven, it doesn't surprise me if that doesn't compel you to a radical, transformed life. But the kingdom, this human flourishing for all that starts now and carries on forever, that actually culminates in a new heaven and new earth, which we looked at in the series, that is something I can get behind. And uh, <laughs> I hope that that's inspired a whole lot of people to see their story in light of the kingdom story. And, um, man, I hope that, hope that sticks. It stuck with me. That might be like my takeaway from this series. I love that. That's great. All right. What's coming next boys? Yeah. We want to look at our series that's after Easter, which is triage. 
Triage. This has been something I've had circled on my board for quite some time. So maybe I'll just share the quick backstory sure. uh, to, to this series. Um, I've lived in Utah eight years now. I've seen a lot of people go through a spiritual crisis, spiritual emergency. Um, and I meet them at a lot of different places on that journey. I see them, um, <clears throat> you know, I see it on social media where some, cause I'm in some groups on X, this X, that, you know, and I see people just starting it. I see people walk into SMCC so fragile and hurting. And it's like walking into SMCC is like walking into the emergency room after a, an accident on this yeah. freeway. Yeah. Um, I see people uh, in our classes asking questions that are interesting but not the most important question at the right time. I see people um, try to heal themselves in the spiritual emergency with the wrong treatment. And so for eight years, I've seen people go through spiritual emergencies in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I wanted to provide comfort and clarity for how to go about the spiritual emergency in the most helpful way and healthy way. And so triage is the process of identifying treatment when someone's injured, the right process of treatment based on the injury. And so this series is called triage. Um, you know, it's prioritize triage is prioritizing treatment and it's really how to survive a spiritual emergency by prioritizing your next steps. Once the emergency happens, that's the heart of the series. And so I, I was thinking as I was going through this about, um, a, a real physical emergency in the Nelson household, um, with Nora. Well, I'll tell the story every week in the series, but Nora crashed on her mountain bike. It was my fault. I took her on a trail that she was unable to handle. Her brakes weren't exactly working properly. And she went over the handlebars. Well, my fault. I'm her mechanic on the bike. Oh. She went over her handlebars head first into a scrub oak, one of those little Utah bushes out yeah. in the West Desert. Mm. And she got these splinters into her neck. And she got up and blood is rushing down her neck. We are in an emergency. Oof. Okay, not a spiritual emergency. Not a, I found out my faith is on what I thought. I found out someone was lying to me. I found out that I can't do this. But a physical emergency. She was panicked. And all I said to her was, you need to keep breathing. You need to keep breathing. She was um, mm. kind of hyperventilating. She was screaming hysterically. Mm. And I was like, you just got to keep breathing. Take a breath with me. Take a breath with me. Okay, so you got to keep breathing. And then I had to call Carissa because Carissa needed to go get the car and come pick her up and take her to urgent care. So we had to find the right people to support surviving this emergency. All right, because mm. I was going to pull the thing out of her neck. And I was like, but what if it's in her jugular, you know? Right, and, like, right. yeah. and, and so we took her to urgent care. And they actually said the same thing. They're like, we're not going to pull this out. We're going to send you to the emergency room. So they send us to the emergency room, which is still a process of finding the right mm -hmm. people. And then there in the emergency room, they could begin to develop a way to approach the wound and, and take care of it with skill. Then they bandaged it up, kind of stopped the bleeding, so to speak, and then sent us home with a plan of attack for how to heal her on our mm. own moving forward. And I thought, that is actually a wonderful illustration of a spiritual emergency. I meet a lot of people who find out something about their faith and then um, they can't function. Like they can't keep breathing, so to speak, right? They, they stop eating. They stop hanging out with certain friends. They are on YouTube 12 hours a night trying to figure out an answer, right? Yeah. And they just need to calm down, take a breath, get some rest. All right, mm. that's going to be the, the the first sermon, Trevor. You've already written it, and it's fantastic. I can't wait to preach that. We're actually going to connect it to the Apostle Paul's spiritual emergency in the book of Acts mm -hmm. and learn from him. And then we're going to proceed through the series. And I hope by the end, 
for a person in an emergency or for a person who loves someone in an emergency, they can prioritize the right type of care. Hmm. You know what I mean? So, so if you're deconstructing one faith system, trying to grieve, you need to be able to grieve. That's really difficult. Say goodbye to something that mattered, but say goodbye to the right things, right? Um, then you need to figure out sort of um, what questions are the most relevant questions going forward. What about the Nephilim in the Bible? That's not the most important question at the time, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, old earth, young earth, not the most important question. Right, right, right. Do I believe in an immaterial world? Do I believe Jesus lived historically? Those begin to be some of the most important questions. Yeah. Um, not is tithing 10% or is it local church? You know, And I've yeah, seen so yeah. many people get lost in the, in the weeds of those questions, which do matter. And there are good answers. But those questions come later down the road of treatment mm-hmm. if you're going to survive a spiritual emergency. So triage is our attempt to help people uh, understand a prioritization process when you're in a spiritual emergency, which is happening constantly in the state of Utah. Mm-hmm. So that's triage. And I'm very excited about it. That is going to be cool. Yeah. And then I- the this, this series after that is a series called Bad Faith, and it's um, we're going to beat up some bad understandings and definitions of faith, primarily by correcting those definitions with the book of Colossians, mm-hmm. which is a, a New Testament letter where the Apostle Paul is correcting some bad faith. So that's yeah. where we're headed next over the next uh, two months. That's very cool. Yeah. And I think with triage, I'm most excited about that. Um, I mean, there, there are people all around us that are going through spiritual emergencies. Um, I mean, if not you, then a friend or somebody. And so knowing this is going to be just help you to be a great friend, a great family member, a great yeah. coworker, because um, you're going to run into this. Absolutely. And I'll even tease this out a little bit more. I'm, I, I have blocked out in my calendar tomorrow to write week two, which the title of the message is Find the Right People. What I've noticed is that unfortunately, when people are in a spiritual emergency, there are others that swoop in to take advantage of that. Oh, yeah and try to pull people into their camp for a a variety of reasons. And so sometimes that's, oh, this preacher on YouTube that I love. Like, Mm. no, you got to get with someone eyeball to eyeball who is a safe person in your Mm. life, you know? Or it's like, well, I started watching these debate videos where people would go to, you know, Temple Square downtown and hold up signs. And those were kind of interesting to me. And I'm going to kind of heal myself by watching those. Like, no, no, don't. Like, those Mm. are... Those are maybe interesting, not my cup of tea, but like that's, those aren't the right people in the moment. Yeah. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. You need careful surgeons, basically. So thinking of Nora, you yeah. need somebody who's yeah. skilled at nurturing an injury, um, careful in the words they choose and guiding you through your healing process. And those, those, I just call those safe people. So you mm-hmm. got to find the right safe people to survive a spiritual emergency. Otherwise, you open yourself up to some more danger, more damage, um, bigger scars, perhaps, if you trust somebody who's not maybe the right person next. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that's week two. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited for that. Uh, and I think, uh, I think, <laughs> I think people at our our church, our locations, our campuses are going to really enjoy that. And it's designed to be a series for people to come back after Easter. Like we're going to have a lot of guests on Easter and um, triage is a way of saying, look, we understand what so many of you have gone through. We hope this next series is helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you guys for helping us wrap up this series, man. Nine weeks later, this was, this was great. So we're done. That's a wrap on the kingdom is like, and we'll let you guys know when we'll 
start doing another season. Yep. Stay close. Stay tuned. We'll be back before the end of the year with our next season. Yeah, absolutely. Listeners, thank you for being here. Take care and we'll see you again soon. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.